Welcome to Help Me to Understand, a podcast where women give their voices to issues of social justice, political activism, giving back, and other topics relevant today. I'm your host, Felicia Garland. As you look around, you can't avoid the fact that we live in an age of political and social divisions, global warming, economic and racial inequality, and a breakdown in many of our social structures. And that was just this morning's news. I find it can be all so confusing, and I bet you do as well. Perhaps you'd like to make a difference in the world, even if only a small one, but you feel you need more knowledge and understanding around the issues we face in order to develop the tolerance, empathy, and compassion you need to become a force for good. It's my mission with this podcast to hear from women who are working every day to make a difference. So welcome, curious listener, to this journey of discovery and understanding. I'm so glad you're here. Together, let's become a force for good. My guest today is Martha Rhodes. She's the author of the book, 3,000 Pulses Later, a memoir of surviving depression without medication. She's also a passionate patient advocate for transcranial magnetic stimulation, which is also known as TMS, as a therapy to alleviate many of the debilitating and dangerous symptoms of treatment-resistant depression. Martha spent over 25 years working in several major New York advertising agencies as a senior executive. That all changed in 2009, when despite her seemingly ideal life, she succumbed to depression and overdosed on Xanax and alcohol in an unsuccessful suicide attempt. In her book, 3,000 Pulses Later, she describes her challenges with undiagnosed and untreated drug-resistant depression and her struggle to find an alternative to the six doctor-prescribed antidepressants that fail to relieve her symptoms. Since the release of her book, Martha's become a highly respected TMS patient advocate for people from around the world who seek her guidance via her website. Hi, Martha. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Felicia. I feel honored to be here. Thank you. So I think there, well, obviously there are people who have suffered depression and various levels of depression, and some who may or may not have ever felt more than, gee, I'm not in a good mood today. Can you describe a little bit about when you recall maybe your symptoms of depression starting and then what they were like? Well, you know, since I can remember when I was 13 years old, taking a handful of aspirin, you know, a, a bottle of aspirin, thinking, I, so I was wanting to get out of life even at that age, mm-hmm. but I didn't, in those years, this is back in the 60s, there was no discussion or even concept of a teenager being depressed. And so I just sort of lived with this underlying current of sadness, even on the happiest days of my life, birthdays and everything, there was always this undercurrent of sadness. It wasn't until I was in, then of course I was having a family and getting myself you know, in life and all of that, but always having that pulling sad feeling. I think there's another piece to this as well. A lot of people think when you're depressed, you just go to bed and you don't come out, you don't get mm-hmm. up, you get you're up. Lie on the sofa, you're lying on the sofa. There, there's another uh, symptom, I guess you could call it, of depression, which is busyness. 
I became so busy to to just sort of ignore and just tune out all those feelings of sadness and wanting to die by getting myself so busy. Abraham Lincoln had depression. He got so busy, he became president of the United States. You know, I mean, he he ran a war. I mean, yeah, it isn't just, you know, depressed people aren't necessarily potato, couch potatoes. Uh You can see, but here's the thing. It's exhausting because Uh as I became more and more successful in my job as a workaholic, I mean, I had five jobs when I was in high school. I I was a workaholic. Then, yeah. Uh-huh. But when you become unbusy, it's a crash. And okay. so it's a real up and down roller coaster feeling of dealing with the sadness and then getting busy so that you don't have to deal with the sadness. Okay. Kind of mask it, I guess, in yeah. a way. Yeah. Yeah. So did people know when you were younger that you were depressed? Did adults either sense it or you? described it because sometimes I think for people who don't understand it or not familiar with it there's a sense of well just buck up you know I well mean, and pull yourself and think, up and get over it that was pretty much how it was handled I I was never uh, I, I had a um, I was treated for stomach ulcers when I was a teenager because I had a nervous stomach and that was part of oh. the depression Okay. Um, but it, it was only given a, a pill to take for that. I, mm-hmm. My parents didn't really, I mean, I'm one of seven kids and I'm in the middle. So it's kind okay. of like one of those things where, okay, so Martha's a little temperamental or Martha's this or that, but it was never like, oh, maybe we should take a look at, you know, why she's sad. And mm-hmm. plus the fact that I never felt like I could explain how sad I was. I pretty much kept it to myself. Okay. Probably because I didn't think anybody would listen. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I really probably different too. If everybody, oh, else I never felt like I belonged. I, I, oh, okay. I never felt like I belonged ever. I mean, it was just a, a feeling of isolation all the time. Yeah, the the st- upset stomach giving you a pill sounds very typical. Yeah. Take a pill, and God forbid yeah. there should be something underlying. So you right. were busy. You kind of covered it up because you were extremely successful. And advertising, how did you manage that? And did you feel you ever were um, discriminated against? Or um, did anybody sense it or know? And maybe you lost a job because of it? I'm just, you no, know. Felicia, I have, a, I have a fabulous, I have a masterful game face. Okay. I can do a game face. I would get up in the morning. I would wish I was dead. I do the routine of getting ready and get out the door. I get in that elevator, get up to the top of the 21st floor, get off and just flip a switch. And Mm -hmm. all that sadness, that dread, that this, I call it uh, emotional nausea. You're just constantly feeling, you know, but as soon as I'd round that corner to my office and all the people that worked in my group, I would just turn a switch and be on. Hi, everybody. It was, it was a mask. It was a, Mm -hmm. it was a facade, but it was exhausting. I'm telling you. And then I'd, I'd get through the day. I'd do a, a great job. I mean, I never expected to end up in a corner office in one okay. of the major New York advertising agencies, but that's what I was able to achieve okay. with mm-hmm. with this game face, with this uh-huh. just proceed attitude, which is my motto, just proceed, right? right? But in the meantime, I'd get back to, at the end of the day, I'd get back home 
and I would crash and it, it was exhausting. The, the energy it takes to hold that mask in place mm-hmm. and seem to be successful, seem to be upbeat, seem to be engaged with everyone um, is, is draining. I mean, I, I call depression cancer of the soul. I mean, it just eats away at your soul because you just feel like, I, I, how am I going to keep going? How am I going to get up in the morning? How am I going to get through this day? When will this day be over so I can just take this mask off and go to bed and try to not wake up again? Mm-hmm. A couple of thoughts come to mind, but one of them is, I mean, you selected a career where there's so much interaction with people. You must have had clients. You had a, a staff, you said. You had a team okay. that you worked with. You were managing. Had you, how did you end up, just as an aside, in advertising? Because it was so, was it just a matter of needing a lot of activity or something? You know, I, I land, it was the most unplanned career. I didn't know when, when I got out of college, I did not know exactly what I was going to do. I knew I, I was, I liked the visual arts. I was pretty much self-taught as an art director. Okay. I did take some classes and things, but honestly, my career path was a gift from the universe. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, okay. I, I, I just, all my, my whole idea was just be a sponge, learn as much as I can and do the right thing and make sure that I was always associating with the people who were doing the best jobs. And Mm -hmm. I think you think part of being the middle child and probably kind of be a good child was part of that. Oh yeah. I always obeyed the rules. I mean, Mm -hmm. I was raised in a cat. I went to the Catholic school for grammar school anyway. Mm -hmm. You, you just, and and one of seven children, you, you behaved. Uh (laughs) There wasn't a lot of time for you, as you said earlier. So a large part of your book, because again, it's important for readers to understand, it's got to be a godsend for people that have depression as you had, but for someone who doesn't really suffer from, again, other than that, I'm kind of feeling down today. Mm -hmm. Normally you don't ask somebody about committing suicide. It's not considered polite, but because you talk about it so openly, if you can explain to someone who hasn't felt that, what does it feel like? What is, how does it manifest yeah, itself? It's a really good question. I will tell you, it's um, actually, I think one of the opening, the opening line in my book, it was the easiest decision I ever made. It was a non-decision. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not proud of what I did. Believe me, there's a lot of shame attached to the fact that I tried to kill myself. But on the other hand, I can tell you that it's like falling off a log. There's you, when you get to that point in, in the depression, for me, it was, oh, this is what's next. When I got to that place where not, none of the medications were working or, or the one medication that I was taking was not working. Let's put it that way. At that time, I had been on my second medication. And I just assumed that it was working. I did not know that I had treatment resistant depression. I assumed every morning I'm taking this happy pill. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, I feel like I wish I could die. So I basically, and I had a great life. I mean, I had this You had a loving husband and wonderful children and leaving them didn't like pull with you? No. and And this is what's so dangerous about the depression that 
goes untreated, a treatment resistant, un, uh, undiagnosed uh-huh. treatment resistant depression. So I became my own judge, jury, and executioner, basically. I mean, I questioned myself. I said, look, you've got a long-term marriage, two great kids, a great job. What more could a girl ask for? Mm -hmm. So you, Martha, I must be the most ungrateful wretch on the planet. And that's where I say I then became judge, jury, and executioner. And Mm -hmm. for me, it was, well, you know, if you're not happy with all that you've got, then what's the point? Well, there's no point to any of this. And so taking the alcohol and the 28 Xanax and it was like, okay, so this is what's next. It was very easy. It's very quiet. When I, 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 there was no drama to it at all. It was just like, Oh, I'm done. Okay. This is what I'm, this is, you don't think about your family. And this is why it's so dangerous when, when people are that depressed and they're not heard or Mm -hmm. thought of as becoming suicidal it's a slippery slope. The main thing is thinking that the medications are working. They're not. Right. There you go. What what Uh are you left with? Well, when you're feeling all of those different, you said you were judge, jury and executioner, and you were having these thoughts, there must've been a certain amount of, or was there, I'm going to assume Hmm. almost not guilt so much as I have all these perfect things. I feel this way. I'm a bad person. I almost, well, maybe not. It's not true, but it was there some of some of that as well. Um, I don't deserve. Maybe I don't deserve certain things. There's that, and there's the other flip flip side of that. They don't deserve. My family doesn't deserve to have such a load of a wife, such a load of a mother, such a you know. I will unburden them by eliminating myself from their world mm-hmm. they they won't have to listen to me or my husband doesn't have to worry oh was she going to wake up depressed today or is she going to you uh-huh. know have are her symptoms going to be and, and, and i mean i was being treated for depression by a general practitioner and yeah, that was interesting i thought that you yeah no wonder they went i diagnosed I had gone to a psychiatrist in my 40s. I had a moment of dissociation where you kind of watch yourself. I was standing on a street corner in New York City, and which mm-hmm. is where I was working. And the bus was coming and I saw myself jumping in front of the bus, but I wasn't doing that. But it was like I, it was outside myself. That's called dissociation. Mm-hmm. Okay. And well, I happened to mention it to this. I had this wonderful support group of women and they both all looked at each other like, you got to get help they immediately saw. So I Mm -hmm. went to a psychiatrist and he prescribed Zoloft and I went from a size eight to a size 16. If that isn't depressing. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. And, and, you know, he was helpful, but it it was, it was more, again, just getting a prescription and I kind of gave up on him. Mm. And then I decided I had to go to a GP for my physical and all that. And she mentioned the depression and she said, well, um, I can just prescribe the next prescription for number me. Two. Number two, Paxil. And she kept upping it and upping it. And finally, she couldn't up it anymore. And at that point, she probably should have sent me to a psychiatrist because she wasn't trained. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, why don't you try meditation? And I thought, well, it's interesting because it's one letter difference between meditation and medication. And oh, I never <laughs> noticed that. But yeah, yeah. And I okay. said, well, 
yeah, maybe I'll do that. But I, at that point, you know, I just kept taking the Paxil and hoping that it would work. And then again, that led me to this decision that it must just be me. I, I must just, it's not that the pills aren't working. This is a, a really important point, Felicia. Okay. I don't think that people realize that there is a an official diagnosis in the DSM-5, which is the Bible that psychiatrists use to, uh-huh. just to diagnose patients who have what I call brain illness, not mental illness. And in that DSM-5 Bible, it there's a thing, a diagnosis called refractory depression, also known as treatment-resistant major uh-huh. depressive disorder, okay? And I did not even know it existed. And I think there are too many people, and I hope your listeners get this point, if anything else, that there is that there are a high percentage of people, mm-hmm. over 25% of the population of depressed, diagnosed depressed patients who are not going to metabolize antidepressant medication. I mean, they will be diagnosed if their doctors know and, and mm-hmm. there's an awareness that Treatment-resistant depression is a real thing. Again, quickly, two points that you have to have a medical practitioner, person mm-hmm. who knows of it, and right. perhaps a DP wouldn't know that. But you said that there, it's a biological reason. You don't metabolize. Right. So it truly is an illness because I think part of it is the general public has to know it's an illness. It's not a in-your-head thing. It's a medical condition. It's mm-hmm. and, and and mental health again is your brain is not doing its job. Your brain is an organ in your body. So if you have a spleen that's not performing, you know, you, you, if you have a tumor, this is what makes depression so. But there are tests for those, right? There are objective tests. Yes. All we have is your word for it. Yeah, there's no rash, there's no tumor, there's no broken bone, there's nothing that you know you can say to prove. Yeah, I got this mm-hmm. condition, um, mm-hmm. and I need to have insulin because I have diabetes. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's no, it's too ambiguous. I think I'm hoping anyway. And if we have more conversations like this, thank you mm-hmm. so much for opening this door for me to be able to speak and for your listeners to be able to understand that th- th- this is. People don't make this stuff up. You don't mm-hmm. make it up like I want to be dead every morning when I wake up. That that's not right. something you're weak and all that. Yeah, it's real. It's mm-hmm. a real condition. Unfortunately, it has such a negative connotation that makes people either not want to admit that they have it or help does keeps them from seeking help for it. Mm-hmm. And even those who do seek help don't get the right help. Wow. They don't get the right help. This is a great segue because there is was, is, light at the end of the tunnel, your journey and fight, uh, how did you first find transcranial magnetic stimulation or TMS? Make sure I pronounce it correctly. (laughs) Yeah. I say it's TMS. It kind of rhymes with PMS. I mean, (laughs) to this day, I have dear friends who still can't remember those three little letters, but transcranial Mm -hmm. magnetic stimulation. Let me give a, a quick rundown. It's a tool, not a cure. Okay. It is based on a science called a uh, uh, science based on Faraday's law, and Faraday's law states in layman's terms, when a magnetic pulse comes in contact with matter, 
a little spark of electricity occurs, is created. Mm -hmm. And with that MRI strength magnetic pulse is applied through the skull, TMS is a non-invasive neuromodulation therapy. Mm -hmm. A coil is placed to the left prefrontal cortex. The computer generates this MRI strength pulse. It comes Mm -hmm. in contact with the neurons. The neurons are supposed to be talking to each other. One gives off the the tr- neurotransmitter, the other one mm-hmm. picks it up, at, you know, of the two. And normally, this is what should happen. What That's happen. what should happen. But when you're depressed, that conversation between the neurons isn't happening. So by stimulating those neurons with a magnetic pulse, that mm-hmm. little spark of electricity wakes them up so that they do start talking to each other. And when they are doing that, the brain becomes more active for mm-hmm. being happy and okay. less depressed. That's kind of a really simple way of explaining it. But in the meantime, it's very effective. Two out of three patients who receive TMS treatment will have a response. They'll feel better. One out of three will have full remission. I was fortunate to be one of, to be in that category, Mm -hmm. but it's a tool. It's not a cure. I mean, depression, serious, you know, major depressive disorder is is a chronic condition chronic meaning it, it mm-hmm. like there's no cure for diabetes right you know it, it's mm-hmm. like in that category so you stimulate the brain to do what it's supposed to do which really mm-hmm. kind of supports this idea that it is a brain almost cancer as you describe yeah. it so it's a lack of of work, the brain working pms gets it to work but eventually it dissipates the the brain because you said you have to go back and sort of get refreshed? Well, you go, your initial, initial course is six weeks every day, five days a week Mm -hmm. or six weeks. It's cumulative. It starts at the, at the neurons at the outermost part of the brain. And as every, as you go every day, and it only takes about a half an hour, it takes longer to get a mani-pedi than it does to do one of the treatments, by the way. And you can drive yourself back and forth. There's little, no, some people have side effect of a little uh, discomfort at the site where the MRI pulse is, is penetrating the brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, it feels like a noogie. It feels like uh-huh. a woodpecker, like a noogie on your head. Okay. But the side effects, I, I mean, sometimes people say they have a headache from mm-hmm. it, but that's it. There, it's And it's not, whereas when you take a medication, it's systemic and it goes to all of your, oh, your yeah. You know, those medications are powerful. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it, don't take medications. If they work for the patient, all mm-hmm. the better take them. But if mm-hmm. you can tolerate the side effects. But with TMS, it goes right to the source. The okay. brain uh-huh. wakes it up and gets it to do its job. But it's cumulative. And so every day, these neurons waking up go deeper, deeper, deeper mm-hmm. in the brain toward the hippocampus and the amygdala. And that's where all of the that stimulation starts really having an effect on the overall health of the brain. Mm-hmm. Without all the, the physical, the other physical, the below the neck side effects, probably like right. the waking and all that. Right. So now let's just make sure that everybody understands PMS is not ECT or the electroconvulsive therapy that we've right. seen those horrible movies of. Yeah, there. it's not yeah. one flew over the... <laughs> no. <laughs> it's you, so know, you know, 
I am a proponent for TMS because I find it to be, it's less invasive than ECT. But sometimes there is a need for ECT, which is like, it's a different science. It's electricity Mm -hmm. that is applied to the whole brain and creates almost like a hurricane on the the whole brain and Mm -hmm. causes it to go into seizure. And that wakes the brain up with that that seizure that that mm-hmm. is induced, all right? Okay. It requires anesthesia, but I, I'm if a patient is uh, having psychotic breaks or is truly suicidal and mm-hmm. needs a quick fix, ECT would be the answer. Okay. From my own experience, but mm-hmm. TMS is cumulative, so it takes longer. It took me 19 treatments before I felt the lift, but wow. when I got the lift, it was like. I woke up one morning and the, the light in the room was different. And I just had a feeling of lightness. And I remember mm-hmm. when I woke up, I, I had this feeling like, well, something's missing. And I, I looked in the mirror. I still looked horrible, you know, oh, but I felt like a big cloud had been just lifted. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it, it was subtle, but unmistakable. I mean, yeah. there was no marching band that came through the room or <laughs> angels. Opening up, saying, saying, hallelujah, uh-huh. you're cured. But I just remember feeling like, oh, what was missing was that disgusting ugh feeling. When uh-huh. I just say the ugh feeling, this is the ugh feeling. The ugh is you've got the worst job in the world uh-huh. with a boss who is a disaster and you can't even stand to be around. And it's Monday morning and you got to get out of bed and go to that job that you hate. Okay, that's right. the ugh feeling, uh-huh. right? right? And that's what feels like with depression. You wake up every morning and it's like, why do I have to still be here? Why did I, why couldn't I have just stayed asleep? Why do I have to get out of this bed and face the world? Well, yeah. You mentioned the feeling of something's missing, mm. like a weight or almost that, like, I don't know what you tell me, but like yeah. a backpack on your back that you're yeah. trudging through. It makes it that everything so much different, more difficult. Just as an aside, I think most people, many people, not most, have that Sunday night feeling of at some level, not the level you had it, but that book feeling yeah. of I have to get yeah. up Monday morning for all the reasons you just stated. Now you found it, but you didn't just automatically get to go do it. I mean, there was a real struggle in, on many levels. Why don't you tell us about that? Well, the first struggle was this TMS was FDA cleared in 2008. Mm-hmm. I had my crisis in 2009. And at the in the fall of 2009, I discovered that there was a thing called TMS by sheer coincidence. I call it one of the miracles in my life, actually, uh, because it wasn't well advertised and it was just one of those mm-hmm. things. All right. So I had been going to a psychiatrist and I was on my sixth or seventh medication that wasn't working. And he said, I don't know why you're so angry. You know, I said, well, I, I, I'm not only feeling better, I'm feeling worse and these pills aren't working and I just don't understand. And his excuse was, well, you know, this is uh, this is an art. This isn't a science. This is an art, you know, to uh-huh. find the right medication. Right. So when I found out about TMS and I applied for insurance coverage for it, I was told it was experimental investigational, even though the FDA had cleared it uh-huh. well over a year and a half prior but the insurance companies were still not buying it. And I decided that I was going to appeal. And Mm -hmm. it took me, I was denied twice, but in Connecticut where I live, 
the insurance board or whatever they call it requires that if you're denied a service twice, that your case has to be sent to an IRO, independent review board. Uh And so they reviewed it. And mine was the first case in Connecticut to be approved for TMS. Now, how in the name of God, I was able to write these letters and get down to the post office, certified mail, return receipt requested, all of that. It was, I I think I just have enough Irish in me. It just made me angry that I shouldn't, that I should be denied something that was a medical condition Mm -hmm. that could work. And when everything else wasn't working, right. But it was, but then I'd go get back from after, you know, getting up the the wherewithal to write these letters and then come home and go to bed and cry for three days. They're never going to read it. It's going to go to the bottom of the pile. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm going to, you know, so it it was a, it was a real roller coaster, but it it took me about six months to fight that battle. Uh And May 3rd was my anniversary. I just had Mm -hmm. my 11th anniversary. May 3rd was my first therapy treatment for TMS. And it was a, a, it's, I call it my, my rebirth day, you know, Uh May 3rd. Yeah. As you said, you wondered how you could get up. You had the energy, at least for that. You could expend it. You knew you fought it for the six months. And I'm wondering how the average person who has, if there is an average person who has the treatment-resistant depression, how they could have done what you did. So I guess that kind of segues into your patient advocacy. Because yeah. it sounds like you took that. Well, tell us about what you do for that. But like you, you now channel that energy that you were expended to get yourself treatment. That right. Now you can help others do it. The good news is that now every state in the country uh, has at least one insurer that covers TMS. That mm-hmm. bridge has been crossed. Thanks to the blues, the uh, Blue Cross Blue Shields, they kind of led the way. Medicare now covers it. But there are patients who, my advocacy is to help those patients who don't know how to figure out the insurance pathway. And also patients who really don't understand what it is. I mean, let's face it. When you're taking a medication, there's a pill, there's a water. It's all very visceral. You you know, you, you yes. it's tactile. Where mm-hmm. whereas this, ah, I'm getting my brains after, You know, is it real? I mean, there's there's I call it the fun factor: fear, okay. uncertainty, and doubt. Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. You know, is this uh-huh. going to work? You know, they're zapping my brain. You know, am I going to have an altered state? It, all mm-hmm. of that stuff comes up because you're dealing with such a an intangible thing oh it's your brain you know i mean that's serious am i going to be altered for life right it is safe there like i said there's no there's really no side effects other than maybe the the discomfort at the site of the pulsing but my advocacy is to help patients understand what it is those who are on the fence like you know i i'm desperate i have tried everything is this going to work for me? Well, there's no guarantee, mm-hmm. but the fact of the matter is that it is an alternative and it is a viable alternative and insurance does cover it now. And so I tried to help people who contact me through my website or they, they I, somehow they find me through the book uh, on the back uh-huh. of the book, I have my email address and you know people will contact me and I'll have conversations. It usually lasts between half an hour, 45 minutes, sometimes an hour. To help them understand, or a loved one, help a loved one understand 
Oh, right. Okay. Desperately mm-hmm. to, to find help for their daughter, son, spouse, you know, mm-hmm. parent. And so that's become my mission. Mm-hmm. I have to say, I mean, to go from advertising uh, and, and I'm, I can't say, I mean, working in New York City, I, I miss, I miss that world. Uh-huh. But this, what I do now is so much more fulfilling. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's much more important than selling someone toothpaste than well you <laughs> are you are still sell, selling absolutely yeah. you're educating yeah. and selling and it's More not educated. unlike what you did yeah but the whoever learns about tms has to make that decision for themselves and now this leads me to another point felicia that i think is so important you have to own this illness the pay, no one can do this yes. no one could do this for me uh-huh. A patient has to own their illness. And when I say own it, that means being responsible for finding the tool that works okay. for them. If it's a medication, if uh-huh. it's ECT, if it's TMS, if it's dialectic behavioral therapy, DBT. You know, I mean, there's, there, there are a lot of tools in the doctor's toolkits now. Uh-huh. And it's important for the patient to work with their doctor and find that tool and use that tool and be committed to their own self-care and manage their depression responsibly. Mm-hmm. Because like I said, your mom can't do this for you. you you're, mm-hmm. It's really important to, first of all, acknowledge that it's a medical condition and yeah. sort of put that embarrassment and shame of it aside, if mm-hmm. at all possible, because you can't hide under a rock with this. You, you, people, most people with depression want to isolate, and that's the worst thing that you can mm-hmm. do. You've got to just be be straight with yourself, be straight with your family. My family had no idea. Like I said in the book, no one could have been more surprised than I was to end up in that emergency room having uh, taken 28 Xanax and, and three slugs of vodka. I mean, mm-hmm. I was shocked, but I had no idea how ill I was. And that's the scary part. So uh-huh. that ownership of now knowing how ill I was and being responsible for it by showing up for my TMS appointments, uh-huh. or if I was on a medication every morning, taking that medication religiously, that's what patients need to know. Uh-huh. And it ain't easy. <laughs> I'm sure it isn't, but also the medical community certainly has a role in this yeah. to let people know that it's out there. And yeah. part of it is, as you said, you have to own no, own it, but not feel the shame. But unless you know what's out, something else is out there. It's yeah. a, like a vicious circle almost. You got to know about it to find it. And you got to. Right. Which is why I wrote the book. I remember when I finally got the breakthrough, the lift. Mm-hmm. And I had a dip. I felt worse before I felt better with TMS. And at that point, I thought, this isn't going to work. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I went into that place. But it, now we've discovered that some, a lot of patients will feel worse before they get better. And it's a good sign. It means the brain is waking up and those emotions are stimulated. And, but it, this has only come up through patients reporting this over the past 11 years. The brain years. hasn't been functioning. It doesn't know how it's supposed to function. Right. Yes, to a certain so, degree. At any rate, I just feel that knowing how, recognizing and acknowledging the, how ill a patient is mm-hmm. by the doctor and mm-hmm. by the patient and by the patient's family is really, really important. It's vital. I bet the, as you 
the support of your family. I mean, you had to go to, was it 16 treatments, did you say? 30 treatments? My nine, I, well, mine I total were 30, but my, okay. my, I, I went, to, I did the full course, which is 30. Mm-hmm. But by the 19th is when I started to feel better. But then I, I, my doctor wanted mm-hmm. me to take the full course, which of course I'm happy I did. Mm-hmm. I started to tell you why I wrote the book. People didn't know about this. Martha, mm-hmm. what, are you, what are you doing? What, what did you take? You know, you feel, uh-huh. you look They could better. see a difference though in you. Oh yeah. I, okay. I mean, I started wearing makeup again. I started answering phone calls. My husband wanted to go out to the movies or dinner. I would say yes. Whereas before it was like, oh, I don't think so. I don't know. So people saw a remarkable change. And when they were asking what I took, I said, well, I did TMS. Well, what's that? And that's when I realized I need to, people need to know about this. Mm-hmm. And that's the book, which started out as an article that uh-huh. my talk therapist encouraged me to write. She oh, was okay. behind it. She was behind uh-huh. my talk therapist was. So at any rate, the psychiatrist that I went to for TMS is not the psychiatrist who told me this is an art, not a science. Okay. I had to fire him. I had to fire him. You had him for the sake, <laughs> take him to the curb. And I found this doctor up at Institute of Living in Hartford that they had just offered it at that hospital. Uh-huh. And, and But now you can go, you don't have to go to the hospital for it. You can go, they have practices. I think there's over 800 practices throughout the country that offer TMS. So, and like I said, you can drive yourself back and forth. There's no side effect uh-huh. of feeling nauseous or queasy afterwards. It's, it's really, I, I'm, what, what I'm delighted to share is how easy it is. It's easy. Yeah, and there's no weight gain and there's no right. Yeah. Yeah. It's out there. About three days ago, you'll be happy to know there was actually an advertisement on television for a psychiatrist who has a clinic and he was telling the world about it. And I was going, Yes, Martha Borg is paying off. It's kind of well interesting. A lot of people's work are are paying off. I mean, I'm Mm -hmm. I'm just one voice in in the well, I'm no, I don't, I don't feel so much like a voice in the desert anymore. Now uh-huh. I feel like a voice in a community, in a tribe of people who have had success themselves or family members and who just want to help. Mm-hmm. Well, now that it's out there and people will start to know about it, your work is not going to go away. It sounds like it's going to be increased because more people will want to know about it. Mm-hmm. We're sort of coming up to the end, unfortunately, but is there anything else you want us to know about this or more how to contact you, both family members and friends and patients themselves? Well, I mean, my mission is I, I hope to spread hope. I hope yeah. to create hope and I encourage people not to give up. Easier said than done. But to find that tool, as I mentioned before, find, mm-hmm. keep looking for that tool, whatever it is that you can use to manage your depression symptoms and more than I mean I want to spread the word about TMS but I think more than that Felicia I want to spread the word about the fact that there is a diagnosis for treatment resistant depression and if a, if any of your listeners have been on four five six different medications or that they cannot tolerate the side effects because these are powerful drugs mm-hmm. of those medications that it's a valid diagnosis. It exists. And there is, there are alternative therapies, TMS being the one. I mean, up until TMS came into the market, there, were, there weren't options for the 
I don't know, there were, well, the 2010 census, there were 16 million people who reported depression. Of mm-hmm. that 16 million, 8 million reported seeking help. Of that 8 million, 4.65 million did not respond to traditional. So that meant wow, you know, 4.65 million people's medical needs met went unmet. Right. So understand that this uh-huh. is a big deal. This is a very big deal. Well, this idea that there really is that message, that there really is a diagnosis of the treatment resistant, yeah. that you're not, not a bright way to describe this, out of your mind to believe that, that there, it, it's hopeless, must go a yeah. long way to help people own the illness, as you said, is so critical right. to even getting the treatment. And one other thing, if we can, I, if I can take sure, another minute. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Once I had remission, mm-hmm. I realized that I had to set up my plan for maintaining my remission. Okay. And although I do go for periodic boosters, single mm-hmm. treatments, uh-huh. there's other parts to it. I have to avoid stress because oh, yes, stress elevates yeah, yeah. Your, your, your stress levels elevate your cortisol mm-hmm. in your body. Cortisol can cause depression, high levels. I don't drink alcohol because alcohol is a depressant. Right. I mean, I'll have an occasion glass of wine or like that, but hard alcohol, like the vodka that I was drinking when I created oh. that storm of, yeah. uh, all right, that's no, no. Avoid toxic people, people who bring yeah. you down, uh-huh. you know, that you just keep buying into these toxic relationships that do not support your mental health. I meditate. Uh, I think meditation okay. is a very good stress reducer. And I also, I mean, I, I don't exercise as much as I should. I'm going to get better at that. I, right. I, I think exercise. Most people say the same thing. I know. But, I yeah. know. And I, that's yep. the one place that I know I need to improve. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a healthy diet. You know, mm-hmm. don't eat a lot of crappy food. Eat things that support your physical health, which is part of your mental health. You know. Totally. So, I, I, I think I list them in the book, my rules. I'm not remembering all of them right now, uh-huh. but the biggies are stress reduction, get rid of toxic people, try not to drink alcohol because it's a depressant. I think say no. Isn't that one of them? Learn to say no. Learn, Learn to say to no. Yeah. Boundaries and just yeah. not. And don't overdo it. Like, like my overdoing it was part of my mental illness because I was using it. I, my a super activity, you know, lists as long as my arm uh-huh. to keep busy was a mistake because I put my head in the sand about how ill I really was. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Well, the list you gave, I guess it's, of course, it's always important to stick with it, but there's really nothing there that's earth shattering. No offense that we all shouldn't be doing anyway. So right. Right. it's probably a lack of self-care that gets us a lot of us in trouble. So my listeners know I'm going to put a link, of course, to your website and information about the book so they can find you if they, mm-hmm. if they or their they families. Also, at the end, on one of the pages, my, I have to redo my website right now, quite mm-hmm. frankly, but I, I, there is a contact me on one of the pages in the website that they can get to me. But also Martha Rhodes TMS, Martha Rhodes TMS at gmail.com mm-hmm. is a direct, I check it all the time. Okay. I try to answer uh, questions that people have about TMS within 24 to 36 hours. I try to be on top of that. Mm-hmm. 
And I will be happy to spend a phone conversation with someone who needs to hear from another patient. Because I remember, Felicia, when I was about to do this, mm-hmm. if I had had someone, not a doctor, but another right. patient who'd been through it, who could have shared that experience, it would have made it, it would have made that FUD factor, that fear, uncertainty, uh-huh. and doubt so much easier for me. So <laughs> well, that's you why name I- it good for you for eliminating the FUD, uh, FUD factor. But I will also, I will put your email address on there yeah. as well. So yeah. thank you so much for your time and all the information thank and you. best wishes for all this good work that you're doing. And you can help the 4 million that need it. And you also, I think of the, was it 16 million? It said 8 million get help. So there's a whole lot of people out there that. And that was 2010. Can you imagine what the numbers are now after what we've been through with the pandemic? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you'll be busy for a long time. <laughs> Thank Unfortunately. you. Unfortunately, I'm sorry to hear that. You probably want to be put out of business. No, I I actually I'm filled with gratitude. I'm filled oh. with gratitude. I'm glad that I survived this, and I hope I can help other people get through as well. So, Thank you so Thank much. You. Have a wonderful rest of the day. Bless you. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye. That's it for this episode of Help Me to Understand. If you like what you've heard, please go to our website, helpme2understand.com to listen to more great episodes. Or, better yet, subscribe to receive new episodes as they are released. I'm so glad you can join me. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.